Say Your Piece was created with women in mind. Women are often unheard or spoken over, but not here. Here, women speak authentically and spiritually about their life experiences, no matter the subject. The pun is intentional. By saying their piece, they find their peace. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Ali Krasner. Let's dive in. So welcome to this episode of Say Your Peace. I'm Ali, and I'm here with my friend Lynn. Lynn, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Excited. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here. So Lynn, can you tell our listeners where you're calling in from? Uh, I live in Michigan. Awesome. Um, and what's Michigan known for? I don't know if it is known for anything. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it depends on your perspective. Um, there's two parts to Michigan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's separated by water, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joined by the mighty Mac, uh, Mackinac Bridge. So yeah, there's a more desolate remote part. And then there's, of course, a more urban part. And which, which part are you in? I'm in the more rural. The more rural art. part. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn's kind of got a log cabin vibe going on and she's in her art studio, um, which is totally awesome. We can see some of her oil paintings. Uh, so Lynn, it's a pleasure to have you here. So you're actually here to talk about um, your experience with your foster daughter. So maybe let's uh, rewind, take a step back a little bit and talk about how you became a foster parent. All right. I'd be happy to. So um, I don't know how much, how far back we should go, but somewhere probably in 2017, I had the conversation with my spouse about the biological clock kind of ticking and just like, should we, you know, try to like push it with our careers right now and, you know, try to get pregnant or should we just, you know, wait for some later opportunity? And we both just immediately felt like we didn't want to like push and like go and have, you know, medical assistance and getting pregnant and our careers were really front and center. So around the time of 2017 is kind of where we shifted towards really starting to know about the options of adoption through foster care. And it's not very widely advertised because the goal for foster care is always first to reunite the kids with their with their biological family yeah that bond is usually one that um is really important it's the most important thing for most people so if it can be repaired and if a child can have you know a good life with their biological parents that's usually what's um, considered as the first priority okay but there are a lot of situations you know, could be any number of situations. It could be anything from, you know, the bad stories where you hear about abuse and trauma, or it could even be just, you know, an older parent. Um, maybe I'm trying to find a good way to say that, you know, somebody dies inadvertently. And sure. Kids are kind of left without too many relatives um, to be able to take care of them. So there's a number of reasons why kids enter into foster care. And some percentage of them, and I don't have the statistics, but some percentage of them cannot be reunited. Okay. So then the next goal is to get them into a home, a quote unquote forever home, 
as soon as possible. So when I um, started working on the paperwork and talking with the licensing agent, they pretty much want to know right away if if adoption is an option for you. There's no pressure, okay. of course, to adopt any kids, but if it's something that you're open to, they like to know that because they sometimes have an inkling, you know, a suspicion about the probability of getting kids reunited with the with their family of origin. Sure. Sure. And did you know if you were sort of looking to adopt at the time or you weren't sure? So around 2017, I think is where I really had a big shift in my priorities. And I just felt like I had accomplished a bunch of things at work, um, my day job. And I just felt like, okay, now I think I'm ready for, for a kid, but I didn't want to I just didn't want to start from scratch. And so yeah. my husband and I were really interested in being open to teens. So we started looking into the different possibilities and the foster to adopt program is quite attractive from the perspective of, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money. Like mm. I've heard of people who really want to adopt babies, you know, the legal fees or are really expensive so oh, yeah I've heard that's super expensive yeah yeah there's the advantage of of it not being expensive but it's not something you want to get into for that reason sure sure <laughs> of course of course yeah <laughs> because it does seem like I mean I could be wrong but it seems like a lot of people who want to adopt are more interested in adopting infants like very young kids yeah and less people are interested in adopting teenagers yeah so that'll take us back to when I was a teen and there was a point where there was a lot of stuff going on in, in my um, family of origin. And I was really fighting really hard with my mom and I'm not going to get into the backstory, but I really wanted to, to leave the home because I felt I didn't feel cared for properly by her. And so we were in a counseling session and I was just you know, throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum. I'm like, I want to go into foster care. And <laughs> of course that hurt her. Um, yeah. And the counselor that was in charge of that session, she was like, no, you don't. Your situation, you know, with your family is way better than what you might find in foster care. And I just remember that really landing on me, like what? <laughs> because I was pretty upset about some things that were going on in the home at that time. So I, I think that was like the very first seed that was planted in me. And just kind of that idea that especially teens, because I think the counselor kind of elaborated a little bit, because I was probably 16, 17 years old at that time. And she was saying, like, especially for teens, it's like really hard for us to find good homes. And yeah. that was in the 80s. I mean, not to give away my age too, too much, but... <laughs> That would have been in the late 80s. So the other thing is from the day job perspective, both my spouse and I are educators. So we're used mm. to working with young adults. Okay. And we just kind of felt like we can handle a team. And the reality is that, I don't know how to say it exactly, but the reality is that they are really resilient. Um, mm. They're all super you know, individual, they're going to have all different maturities on different points, you know, depending on what they've experienced in their earlier life. 
Sure. But I know um, a, a good friend of mine adopted babies. Those babies, the only trauma that they had was in utero, you know, both with substance abuse from um, the biological mom and then probably other other trauma while, you know, the kids were in utero. And those kids had a lot of echoes of that trauma mm. um, plaguing them throughout their life. So yeah. there's no guarantee with any kids. And so why not take a chance on someone who really, really needs it, you know, really needs to be given a chance at a, yeah. at a fresh life. Yeah. So the young girl or the teenager that you ended up fostering actually has sort of a crazy story, right? She sort of got lost in the system. Can you tell us a little bit about her story? Yeah, I would love to. And this is the reason why, in case any of your listeners are wondering why I'm trying to be kind of anonymous and not like say exactly where I'm from, because I just don't, you know, I don't want to give away her identity in particular, because um, things that I'm sharing about her are basically her story. And, you know, I want her to be able to share them eventually when she's an adult. But I do think that there is this big aspect of her history, which does need to be known, because I think societies should and could do much better. Basically, our daughter was born to a, um, a young mom who I'm pretty sure had very good intentions. And I think that she had a pretty healthy overall pregnancy. I don't know the biological mom, so I can't verify any of my um, suspicions. Okay. And the reason why I say that I think she had a pretty good pregnancy is because our daughter doesn't have any kind of any birth defects or okay. she doesn't have like super evident substance abuse things that some kids sometimes have. But she did have a lot of things going against her in life. And um, she was using different substances, I think maybe a little bit later after um, her daughter was born. And I also know from doing a little bit of research that the biological grandmother died when my daughter would have been about three years old. And so I'm thinking that the biological mom didn't have the support, mm. especially after her mom died that um, she needed. Okay. So anyway, the, the story goes that there was different issues in the home, substance abuse, different boyfriends, different things like that. Um, so there was a couple of different trauma events that somehow the family knew about. And at some point, the mom kind of disappeared and left our, her daughter, our, our now daughter, with some boyfriend of, of some sort. I don't know exactly. Okay. So this man didn't know what to do and somehow found the great-grandmother. Somehow the great-grandmother had our daughter moved to another relative. Okay. So basically an aunt of a great aunt of the biological mom or of our, sorry, I'm getting really confused and a little That's emotional. okay. There are a lot of people in the story. <laughs> yeah. So our daughter's great aunt basically became uh, her family at about age five. Okay. Now, because the family probably thought that the biological mother could 
you know, recover from whatever she was going through, mm. they didn't get the th- authorities involved. Okay. So these aunt and uncle who became parents for a while, they never had legal custody. And it's very evident to me that they cared very much for our daughter, but they didn't have the means. They didn't have the ability for dealing with trauma. Okay. They didn't, because they weren't legal guardians, they didn't take her um, to like a doctor. They didn't send her to school. Essentially, they were trying to do what they thought was best by basically keeping her hidden. And that was a really hard thing um, for us to swallow when we started to hear this part of the story, especially because they didn't have the means. And I think they didn't have the desire to be forever parents. Yeah. They sometimes didn't, they didn't treat our daughter uh, really well. So there are stories of her being, you know, basically locked in her, her room for quite a bit of time. I don't know how long, Yeah, you know, it could have been anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to a couple of days. You know, she talked about sometimes like people bringing her food to her room, but she was locked in her room. Yeah. I'm guessing she was acting out and they didn't know how to deal with it. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just, I think that's the one thing that I just really wish. Cause I know that they, they cared for her and I know that they wanted the best for her, but somehow they weren't able to feel safe to get help mm. to get a social worker involved. So eventually our daughter ran away from the home and Apparently she had run away more than once. Okay. But eventually one of the times that she ran away, the authorities basically came to know about her. Okay. And by this time she was almost 10. So that means that she was being kind of protected for four and a half, five years. And so she hadn't gone to school basically for, for four and a half exactly. years. Wow. Wow. Exactly. And were they, do you think they were afraid of what the authorities might do if they knew that they weren't the legal guardians? Yeah, our daughter says that they really thought that um, authorities would send her back to her biological mom. Okay. And the part that I'm not talking about is that some of the trauma that happened with the mom, pretty horrendous, and some of the other things that she was getting herself into, pretty horrendous. Okay. And then not having the support system and whatnot, they just knew that that wasn't going to be um, in our daughter's best interest. But at some point after social workers got involved, I think they really started to feel pretty overwhelmed by all the things that they would need to do and change and, you know, to be good parents. Mm. They would need to spend more money. They didn't have a lot of money. They needed to take her for counseling. They needed to take her to different doctors to have her developments um, needs met and checked out. Um, So eventually they decided to take her to a residential facility which is kind of it's meant for getting kids you know kind of back on their feet and rehabilitated with their families Um, and it's really meant for helping families to understand the kids needs okay but according to our daughter they they never came for any of the scheduled um, meetings and things so after she was there for 
she was there for at least a year, probably about a year and a half after she was there for that amount of time, it became evident that that wasn't going to be a good fit for her. And that was never meant to be a forever home. Yeah. So then they finally got her into a, an actual foster home with a family. Okay. Her needs were at that time really high and that foster family wasn't well prepared for her needs. Yeah. And they had another kid in the home, opposite gender, but very similar age. And it was just too much on them, you know, as a family with everything. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to explain all of that. So after finally we got our license for foster care um, finished and that wasn't an easy set of paperwork to fill out because you have to disclose all these things and write essays and they do background checks and wow. you're like, I'm volunteering to take care of a kid. Do I really want <laughs> yeah. to have to like fill out all these details about my, you know, monthly expenses? I don't even know my monthly expenses because I have direct deposit and like I'm so dependent yeah, on yeah, auto sure, pay. And, sure. Yeah. So it was a lot of work and then the training and th different things. So finally we got all of our ducks in a row. We finally had our license and then we got a few calls for different placements. And I remember one in particular that we said yes to, but then um, it turned out that they were asking lots of people. So they found a better situation to this particular person. Okay. And so then at some point, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but the, the licensing agent called us up and said, would you like to do respite care? My husband and I, we talked about it and we're like, I think that's a good way to test because <laughs> we were never parents. <laughs> we were never parents before. So we're like, let's just try respite care and see how that goes. So respite care is, it's when you basically do babysitting. It, it oh, can okay, be okay. for an hour or it can be for a day. Basically, the family who was fostering our daughter, they just, they needed a break. They needed sure, to just sure. be their, their own biological unit for a little while because the, the parental relationships with their existing, pre-existing child were getting strained. So they spent some time alone and we spent time with the person who is now our daughter. Like within an hour or two of having her in our house, we were just like, Wow. Is she's just a bright light. Oh. I don't know if it was a, a shock because we had heard all these things. Yeah. Um, like she needs a lot of attention or she has reduced emotional maturity or whatever, but she just presented herself like this ideal, very mature, young, young girl, very interested in, in everything. And even like that day, she said to us, she's like, you know, I'm up for adoption. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. <laughs> and then she started saying, oh, I really like to have a family like, like you guys. You guys are really good. <laughs> oh, oh. So sweet. Anyway, we had a lot of fun um, with her. And the next day, um, we took her back to her foster home and and she gave us the full court press in the car. She just really said, like, I feel like I fit with you. And Aww. I really want to 
you know, live with someone like you. And, you know, and I was just like, we're not sure if we're ready to be parents. And, you know, like, we can't really, you know, decide like this, you know, like, yeah, yeah. because you had only met her once at this point. How do you explain that to a kid? And we didn't know the backstory. We, We knew none of the backstory. We just knew that, that she definitely needed some attention. Anyway, after that, we just cried our eyes out um, after dropping her off because we just, I don't know. I mean, it, I want to say is like love at first sight or something. It sounds yeah. like kind of corny or cliche, but she just was this super bright light. And then we started to know a little bit more of her story and the heartbreaking things that she had been through. And I just started thinking like, okay, is this something that we want to do. And then we were just like, well, we have to. So, Mm. yeah. So we took some time to think about things. And then we just talked to the adoption specialist who was in charge of, you know, getting her paperwork going. And we just said like, Hey, we're really interested in her. And then meanwhile, the other family was like, this isn't working for us. And this is like, we really, you know, this isn't working for her. And, you know, it's just causing a lot of stress and everything so we we talked to them and we said we you know definitely want to adopt her and and we filled out all this paperwork and so they kind of took a chance on things and said well you guys have a foster license and we do think it's in her best interest to move her so we can move her into your home as a foster yeah so they moved her and then they knew that we had the intention of course to adopt her yeah yeah we just had to go through all of the all of the paperwork so that kind of sounds like an ideal situation and I'm sure on paperwork you know in terms of all the bureaucracy and whatnot it's not really supposed to go like that but it really should kind of in some sense a little bit go like that that you should have a trial run yeah and that I think the social workers should be able to use some, some judgment in trying to find the best homes for kids. So, Wow. And was she the first child that you had in respite care? Yep. Like the very first? Yep. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of work to get set up to be um, licensed for foster care. Like you have to have, depending on the age range that you're open to, like you have to have your different medicines locked up and of course we had um some alcohol and we had to like put it up on the you know very high shelf and (laughs) okay okay and then if you want younger kids you have to have like the little like safety child safety you know everything and beds and everything so like we already had a room with bunk beds and we already had like the dresser and you know some stuffed toys and you know it just like it just seemed like it was all okay, this is the, the person who's meant to live here. Wow. And that, is that, that's actually quite recent, I think, uh, if I remember. Yeah. So um, she moved into our home right before our state went into a lockdown. And that's the other reason why I think the um, social workers kind of pulled some strings in terms of mm. getting her moved quickly because they knew that we were going into a pandemic and that there was no telling what was going to happen to kids. Like if they were going to be stuck for, you know, six months without being able to move or, you know, other kids, maybe that they were still supposed to be seeing their parents, weren't going to be able to see their parents for a while. It was really stressful time. 
definitely for those social workers and caseworkers. Um, so she moved in in March of 2020, and then our adoption was finalized in March of 2021. Wow. And is that quite fast for an adoption to be finalized, about a year? or? I think it's a little bit slow. Oh, it's a little bit slow. For okay. a foster adoption. I think it's slow for the child because a child who's had a lot of trauma just really needs security um, sooner yeah. rather than later. Yeah. So the last couple of months while we were waiting were pretty agonizing for our daughter. She was definitely having a lot of stress, mm. acting out in different ways at school and just feeling like she didn't want to be at school because our schools have been open this year, this school year. So okay. she didn't want to be at school because she was just afraid that you know something was going to happen, something that she couldn't predict. There was no, in my opinion, like no rational evidence for that, but a lot of the things that the kids are thinking, of course, are t- completely irrational, right? Like they don't yeah, have to sure. have a rational piece of evidence yeah. in order to have fear like that. Because is it possible that the adoption sort of doesn't go through for any sort of reason? Or So our caseworker explained to us that there was different stages of certainty. So there was a certain stage where like until she had gotten certain approvals she didn't feel you know 100 percent confident yeah and then at some point she felt really much more confident and then she was ready to you know to talk to our daughter about you know the permanency plan and various things so and then eventually to file the petition with the court I think it went a little fast also because while she was still with their relatives, they were trying to find the biological parents and they had different court hearings and whatnot and they had they had signed off on their right. Okay. And then the relatives that were taking care of her, they had decided they also wanted to sign off. So basically all of her blood relatives were basically ineligible. So it can go fast at that point. Okay. So as long as nobody's sort of there to contest, I guess you would say, um, to contest it or to sort of claim, it sounds odd, but claim her, I guess. Right. I guess even if they're relatives, if they're not her parents, they can't, can they? Well, different relatives can. um, Oh, they can. Okay. But I don't know if they would be considered, like they would be favored or if they would be considered equal There's a lot of people involved in adoption. Um, Yeah. Of course, there's a lawyer for the, for the child. Yeah. That's separate from the caseworker and adoption specialist. Yeah. So the not going to school until age almost 10 was a pretty significant um, thing. I can imagine. Um, She's still behind in both reading and math. And because we're educators, we're trying really hard to help her um, catch up. But at some point you have to just say like, okay, she needs to go at her pace and we don't want to pressure her because otherwise she'll resent that. You can't put kids in kindergarten when they're 10 or you can't put them in first grade when they're 10. So they just get thrown in to an age appropriate grade Mm. and then they get special assistance Um, to try to get through the grades and try to catch up but I can tell you and I and I saw it when our daughter was having a lot of stress 
kids don't learn very much when they're when they're having a lot of trauma in their life Um, because without the safety and security they just their survival is the most important thing to them reading and math is so not important so she's doing pretty well in school right now with her assistance um, that she gets but she's still I think probably two grade levels behind in reading Um, at least one grade level behind in math, although she can do her grade level math. It's just that she's missing her math facts and different things. So, okay. But it's okay. She can use a calculator, but right. It sounds like all this negative stuff, but I really just want to come back to the fact that she's been just such a light, so resilient, just so, so amazing. I mean, she has a few things that she's, a little bit immature on you know because she didn't have the experiences that younger kids would have sure but there's some part of her that's like so mature like if I had to describe her I would say she's like an old soul like you know she Mm. has this wise old soul kind of person Um, she seems very intuitive she can read people well of course that's part of the survival thing yeah funny she loves to laugh oh my goodness she loves 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 to laugh which I think is a natural healing mechanism yeah yeah that's so beautiful though that after all that you know you're really giving this girl a second chance at life and that she is you know she's happy and she's laughing and she's going to school and even though she's a bit behind you know she'll catch up and she has help and all of that um it's just a really beautiful story and I know that part of the reason that you wanted to tell the story was to sort of make people aware of the fact that there are these kids out there who are sort of lost or forgotten about by the system. Yeah, that's the big concern. So, so I know that there was, I don't know the details, but I know that there have been some issues in the past with the state of Michigan in terms of their child protective services really managing kids well because I had heard that there were some former foster youth that basically got together and sued the state so there were problems okay. historically yeah which maybe was the reason why the relatives um did what they did like they just thought mm. we can't trust these you know these social workers and caseworkers because they're just gonna you know have to send her back and yeah. you know they probably had some idea of what the biological mom was up to and they could kind of see that she wasn't she wasn't getting clean she wasn't able to to take care of things on her own so you know they tried to protect her I think that's really kind of you know I don't know it's just so sad to think like that was the best that they could do yeah was to hide her yeah and keep her kind of secret because now she kind of lacks some social skills you know she's like you know a teenager and she's trying to figure out how to make friends and how how to relate to people with age-appropriate behaviors and things like last year when she moved in she was still watching like cartoons on tv that would be like seven or eight year old kind of cartoons but now she's starting to watch more like young teen things if she's watching and she's playing Minecraft. So she's got some virtual friends out there and we're like super nervous about her, like, (laughs) you know, getting duped by quote unquote virtual friends, but it seems all legit so far, but 
I just think that there's a lot more kids out there, especially with this COVID crisis that, Mm. you know, drug abuse is, it's been ramping up, I believe, Um, especially with the opioid crisis that people started to get addicted to different painkillers and, and whatnot. So um, one of the counselors who my daughter was going to was saying that they're trying to get all the teachers in the public schools educated on trauma, how to recognize it, how to deal with it, because teachers don't, you know, they're not necessarily counselors, right? They're not always well prepared for all of the acting out that kids might do or different behaviors that aren't quite right. Like, how do you deal with it? So they're expecting more. And then the gaps in the society. So, you know, when we take our daughter to the doctor, there's all these questions that they ask us. And even now, because she's over 13, like they actually ask her like some questions that, yeah. you know, like we don't even know what they're asking her. They give her like a little iPad thing and she has to answer all these questions. And some of them are hard for her to answer because they are trauma triggers. So she'll okay. sometimes pass the thing back to me and say, well, I don't know how to open or how to answer this. Can you just do it for me? So the thing is, is that I don't want more of that because yeah. obviously if I'm taking my daughter to the doctor, I'm caring about her, right? I think any parents who's taking their kid to the doctor for their annual checkup is trying to do their best. But yeah. what has happened to the kids that they're not going to the doctor? Or they're not going to school because our society, as far as I know, in terms of protecting kids is dependent on our school teachers to recognize unusual, awkward, weird behavior that they then report to caseworkers. And then maybe they'll go and do a site visit in the home or whatnot, or maybe a doctor that sees a developmental issue. But if the kids aren't going to school or the kids aren't going to the doctor, who's reporting them? Yeah. Wow. It's just amazing that for five years, essentially, she was sort of, I mean, she sort of didn't exist in a way. Which is shocking because, of course, her, the, uh, I remember now also that there were some red flags at the time of her birth. So when the biological mom came in for the delivery to the hospital, she was already HIV positive. She okay. already had some substance abuse um, history at that point. So to me, and of course the birth certificate was filed, like it was supposed to be filed in 2007. To me, there should be some way to just know like, okay, this kid exists. Did this Mm -hmm. kid show up in school? Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to think about that. If you just think about one state or if you think about one country, um, that's kind of small, but in the United States, we have all these different states. So, you know, one state is in charge of, you know, the schools and all these different things. But if a kid disappears, they just assume that maybe the parents moved to a different state, right? Like, Mm, there's no way to like check. Because people move sometimes. Sure. But it just seems to me that there should be some sort of homeland security or, you know, like a federal kind of thing that just has like, a database on like kids 
And are they showing up in school? Okay, born in Michigan, did they show up in school in Michigan? No, okay, did they show up in school in any other state? No, okay, where is this kid? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, I definitely don't like wanna advocate for like more questions for parents to have to deal with. But I really hate to think about the fact that trauma going untreated for a long time or additional trauma that resulted from not getting appropriate care when the intervention was made, you know, that that all could have been prevented. Just, yeah. (laughs) Hopefully, you know, getting your story out there a little bit, people will come to realize that this type of thing, unfortunately, still happens today uh, in the U.S. and that that's something we really need to to work on changing, changing the system so it doesn't happen to other kids. Yeah. Well, on that note, (laughs) on that somewhat happy, somewhat bittersweet note, I just want to say thanks so much, Lynn, for coming on and uh, sharing your story. I don't know if there are any final thoughts that you want to share with us. Otherwise, we can end there. Yeah, I would love to. I just want to say something maybe for people who are thinking about um, becoming foster parents or yeah, adopting please. foster kids yeah. is that the trauma piece is something that is a pretty big issue, um, but it's not, and there isn't a lot of training on it, but it's not something that a, a normal caring person can't handle. Advocating for the kids to get help, you know, being patient with them letting them have their emotions, riding out the wave, that's so healing for these kids. Like they need an advocate. They need somebody who's not going to run away if they're throwing a fit. And some of the stressful behaviors, they pass. I mean, I know it's only been a couple of months since our adoption was finalized, but the last couple of months right before the adoption was finalized, we were seeing a lot of stress behaviors. And now it's just peace and ease and maybe there's another wave of stress behaviors coming (laughs) but I just feel like I can handle it and that you know she's totally worth it so you know and she needs it so I just really want to encourage other people to you know if they have an inkling for doing it you know there's great books out there there's good resources you got to fight a little bit you know to find the resources for the kids but just because mental health is kind of overtaxed. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think it's worth it. They deserve a second chance or a third chance or whatever chance. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And we're so happy that your daughter has her, her second chance with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for, for coming on Lynn. And we, we wish the best to you and your daughter and your new family and um, take care. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Emerge and Shine Academy. Put yourself out there, move past the fear of public speaking, and have fun doing it. Our monthly membership is three sessions a month and a supportive community of women. Don't dim your light. Embrace your shine. Learn more on Instagram at Emerge and Shine or on Facebook, Emerge and Shine. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Say Your Peace.